0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we have a lot about that on today's program. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody from the On Our Sleeves program at Nationwide Children's Hospital. That's the hospital's mental health initiative. The COVID 19 public health emergency has ended. Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff held a news conference this week to talk about what that means. We'll present a few minutes of his comments. In about 25 minutes, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including Google's new data centers coming to Central Ohio, more on the On Our Sleeves initiative at Nationwide Children's Hospital, and an effort by students at Logan High School in Hocking County to raise awareness. Awareness about bullying after a student committed suicide there. And I'll wrap up the hour with information about a hotline for pregnant women and young mothers who are going through anxiety or depression. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Doctor Whitney Raglan Bignall, who is the Associate Clinical Director of On Our Sleeves at Nationwide Children's Hospital. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for talking to us. I think we've all heard of On Our Sleeves at the hospital, but tell us what it is.
1: Yes. On Our Sleeves, basically, we recognize that children don't wear their thoughts on their sleeves. You know, they don't often have the words to express their feelings and the things that they're struggling with, um, and they need a voice. And so On Our Sleeves is a movement for children's mental health so that we can be the champions for child mental health and help break down stigma in our community.
0: And this is really kind of uh, a big part of uh, all that development that we're seeing at Nationwide, right? As kind of uh, focusing on mental health with kids.
1: Yes, um, it's, a, it's a really important. Um, we know that there's currently a mental health crisis and um, the hospital, as well as um, on our sleeves as a part of it, um, is really trying to help um, that mental health crisis and reduce the challenges that our community is facing around that.
0: And it's so interesting because this initiative began before the pandemic, but it seems like the the timing could not have been better because of the impact the pandemic has had.
1: Exactly. You know, we had been seeing increasing numbers for many, many years. I mean, even before the pandemic, we knew one in five children were um, having a mental health challenge. Um, But as we know, with the pandemic, things have gotten worse. And so it was the perfect timing that we were able to develop On Our
0: Sleeves and to start this work. Uh, You're also a psychologist and a pediatrics professor at OSU, so I feel like you have a a pretty good handle on what we're going to talk about here, which is a survey that was conducted for the On Our Sleeves movement and some pretty eye-opening things that you were finding out in terms of kids and where they stand and also their interaction with their parents.
2: Yeah,
1: so we found in general that, you know, 50 percent of parents have noticed that um, their child's mental health is suffering um, due to social media in the past 12 months, Um, and only like 35% of um, parents could say that social media, it has a positive influence, which is actually... A decrease from just last year when it was 43 percent. So we're seeing that people are reporting that social media is negatively impacting their kids. And because of that, we really feel that we should be talking a lot more about it.
0: And this is so interesting because we're now getting to the period where parents also grew up online, (laughs) you know, whereas it's, it's only been a few years that we've been able to say that. When we talk about social media, what is the biggest concern? Is it the is it places like Facebook and Instagram, or is it TikTok, or what?
1: So I don't think we we're saying that it's a specific app, but it's more about what they're doing on the app. And so social media, I want to say, can have some positive influences. It's not all bad. You know, kids can be... You know, creative and it can help you build community, especially if you're old enough and mature enough to be on social media. But I do think that we really have to be mindful of the fact that there are a lot of risks too on social media that we have to kind of keep in mind. And so, um, You know, parents, when they're thinking about it, we need to be looking at specifically, you know, like what our kids are watching, (laughs) um, what they're consuming, if they're receiving certain types of ads. Um, Do they understand um, how to decipher things that are, you know, true or that um, miscommunication or deceptions that can occur online and? there's also cyberbullying that happens. So you really want to make sure that no matter what the app is, that um, you understand what's happening and what information your child can consume.
0: I saw a recent stat that said that the average uh, user now on TikTok is on there an hour, more than an hour and a half a day and uh, mm-hmm. just almost an hour on YouTube as well. But that's an average, which means that there's a lot of people that are spending a lot more time than that on it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... Um, the Surgeon General mentioned that there's like with the surveys they did that 81% of 14 to 22 year olds were su- using social media daily, like almost constantly. And I don't know about you, but I mean, with our phones in our hands all the time, it's just so easy with every free moment to kind of be, you know, on there.
0: You know, a lot of these videos are very brief. Some of them can be kind of helpful, and it's an astounding amount of information, good and bad, that some, somebody can absorb in a short amount of time.
1: Exactly. So part of it is that you are consuming so much information. How do you know um, with what you're consuming what is accurate <laughs> and um, when something has maybe crossed a boundary that you don't want and shouldn't be consuming
0: it? is it fair to say that maybe this is kind of uh putting a barrier or some sort of a problem a communication problem between parents and their kids
1: Um, so i don't know if it's necessarily the barrier but i do think it is something that parents need to be actively working to communicate with their children about we know that um parents need to be monitoring what their children are doing online. And one way to help that is that you need to have regular conversations with them about everything so that this topic of social media is something that they also feel comfortable sharing with you. And, you know, if we aren't talking and we're spending most of our time online, sometimes then we can isolate or feel disconnected. And so they, it can cause breakdowns in relationships. And if it's doing that, then that is one of the things we need to, think about that maybe we're using it too much or it's, it's, har- it's harmful to the relationships we have.
0: Talking with Dr. Whitney Ragland-Bignall, she is the Associate Clinical Director of On Our Sleeves at Nationwide Children's Hospital. So with this sort of information that On Our Sleeves gets through this research, what will you do with it?
1: So we have actually created materials on our website that parents can reference to help them navigate this so we have articles specifically about how to talk about social media with your children we also talk about um, identifying those warning signs if it's becoming problematic and one of the things that i think is really exciting is also talking about what can families do they can make a family contract about social media and we provide resources on how to do that for families on our website
0: okay and where is that online how do folks find it
1: Yeah, so if you go to OnOurSleeves.org, there is a link right there for social media, um, and it'll take you to all the different articles.
3: Okay. You
0: know, I've uh, been reading articles, too, about isolation becoming a big deal with teens Mm -hmm. uh, and young adults, especially men, that young men are almost checking out of the dating world and being absorbed, in. it could be video games, it could be pornography, just simply kind of hunkering down and being in their own world and becoming less social.
1: Yes, you know, the Surgeon General did come out with a report on loneliness, and it is something that I think, you know, we're all very aware that um, isolation is a... a very big challenge, and so one of the things at On Our sleeves that we've been trying to highlight a lot is conversation, operation conversation, um, which helps and encourages families to start talking more because we really want um, all of us to be working to connect. Social connection is so important, and so operation conversation is one of the ways in which we can do that in hopes to try to break down some of that isolation that um, people might be experiencing.
0: And this uh, online bullying that you referenced earlier is uh, also a huge concern uh, with any kid. And I'm assuming, too, that, you know, perhaps kids in the LGBTQ community even more so.
1: Yes, I think children in all marginalized groups are at risk, you know, and we know that the research from, like, um, the American Psychological Association have highlighted that, in particular, minoritized groups are at risk, specifically on social media and for on social media for discrimination and things like that. And so um, with any group and for all children, I think that's one of the main things that parents need to be looking out for is what they're consuming, because there are lots of harmful things out there that can really be harmful to the identity of our children.
0: I'm curious what your take and, and other experts in the field, what their take is, about this influence and, and whether it's good or bad in the long run because, you know, I mean, there's always been something, right? I mean, 100 years ago, it was when movies came out, television and radio.
1: Yeah, you know, the truth is is that, like I mentioned before, social media is not all bad. There are some advantages and, to being on social media, especially if you're old enough and mature enough. But with anything, it's always good to have moderation and to understand the dangers of when something is not good for you. So, for instance, we want to make sure that when children um, are on social media, that they're mature enough to understand the dangers of it and are ready for it, and that parents. And children have had conversations about it so that it can be monitored and they have rules about it within their families. But also, you know, we don't ever want something to be all-consuming in our lives that we stop doing other important things. Um, And that is when it gets worrisome because for our mental health, we need balance. We need to be physically active. We need social connection. And so we just have to make sure that one thing isn't becoming too big in our lives, that we neglect other important things that we know are good for our mental health.
0: Talking with Dr. Whitney ragland Bignell, she is the Associate Clinical Director of On Our Sleeves. What should parents be watching for with their kids?
1: So in general, if We want to make sure that they're not on it too much, and one of the ways that we can see that is if they become very upset uh, when they don't have access to it, um, or they're beginning to isolate so much um, due to just being on it so much. Um, We want to really look out for changes in their mood, so are they more irritable, Um, and things such as sleep. So we know that in general. Sometimes kids don't like sleeping, but sleep is so important for mental health. And so if social media is getting in the way of a child or youth getting enough sleep, then that would be something we would want parents to address.
0: There's been some moves by lawmakers to regulate these services more by making them stick to rules about, you know, not allowing young kids to be on and to make them get parental permission at a certain age to provide an ID to be able to get online. Do you favor restrictions like that?
1: think that in order for this to work we need um, everyone working toward it so we need restrictions from the companies but we also and and policymakers but we also need parents right because you know children are very smart and you know without parental guidance and monitoring the, even if you have policies, it, they can often get around them. So I think it's important that we all kind of work together to help ensure the safety of our kids and making sure that they're consuming social media at the right time.
0: Yeah, that's the. I guess the big concern would be, you know, if if it becomes sort of taboo to them, it's only going to drive them mm-hmm. <laughs> more to want right. to be involved. And you've seen how they can handle uh, anything electronic, boy. They're <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, right? <laughs> so the goal is really it's not necessarily to make it taboo, but to have good conversations within the family so that we know when they are consuming it, they know what to look out for. And they know the rules within the house to make it um, so that it's done within balance and safely.
0: Yeah. It seems like leadership among student activists who are mindful about this kind of thing would be a great thing to see grow in schools these days.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. I think the more we can get everyone on board, especially peers, the better.
0: Talking with Dr. Whitney Ragland-Bignall. She's the associate clinical director of On Our Sleeves at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Anything else you'd like to add?
1: Just that, you know... Not only should we be talking to our kids but we want to make sure that we're modeling good behavior they watch us and as, as adults are on our phones a lot too so if we want them to have certain behaviors and be mindful of things we got to make sure we show them how to do it um, and there are so many resources on our website so please um, don't hesitate to check them out on our sleeves.org
0: once again that's uh, on our uh, and I'm talking with dr. Whitney Raglan Bignell. she is the associate clinical director of On Our Sleeves. Thanks so much for your information today. I appreciate it. Thank
4: you.
5: Tom and thanks for listening.
6: Every two minutes, a woman in the. US is diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that split second, her life changes forever. The toll of breast cancer is great. The need to support those who are battling the disease today is even greater. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime. United by hope, we can end breast cancer. Join our fight, save lives.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. President Joe Biden has announced that the public emergency is over for COVID-19. Earlier this week, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health, held a news conference to talk about what that means. We're presenting about six minutes of Dr. Vanderhoff.
7: This does not mean that COVID-19 is over or no longer a public health concern. Well, thankfully, case numbers, hospitalizations, and deaths have been declining since the start of the year. And now we're at some of our lowest levels since the pandemic began. The reality is, that people are still getting sick, and tragically, the lives of 40 to 50 Ohioans are still claimed by this virus every week. Nevertheless, the end of the public health emergency is another step along the path that we've been taking for some time now, a transition from dealing with COVID-19 as a pandemic to coping with it as more of an endemic disease. Overall, I do not foresee any immediate or dramatic changes in the Ohio Department of Health's ability to serve as a a, a resource uh, as a result of this shift. We remain dedicated to preventing severe illness and death from COVID-19, particularly for populations at higher risk. And of course, we'll continue working to reduce the negative impacts of COVID-19 testing vaccines, and treatments will eventually return to a more traditional healthcare coverage model. As a result, while many Americans may continue to have little to no out-of-pocket expenses for COVID-19 care, over time, others, especially those who are underinsured or uninsured, may face some additional expenses. Now, the most immediate change people will notice is that free COVID tests shipped to them from the federal government will no longer be available. Also, some insurance companies may not cover over-the-counter tests. Coverage for tests performed by your provider or at a pharmacy may also have some cost depending on your particular insurance coverage. The good news here in Ohio is that the Ohio Department of Health has maintained a sizable supply of free COVID tests that we will continue to deploy to our local health departments, our schools, long term care facilities, and other community partners on request. Also, those on Medicaid can continue to get free tests at home or elsewhere through September of 2024. Now, in terms of vaccines, The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has indicated that the end of the public health emergency will not have a near-term impact on the availability of vaccine. As with tests, I can assure you that the Ohio Department of Health has a sizable supply of vaccine that we can distribute to areas of the state that may need it. For now, vaccines will remain free for all, even after The federal supply is diminished. Many Americans will continue to pay nothing out of pocket for vaccines. COVID-19 vaccines, like other vaccines that have been recommended by the CDC, are a preventive health service for most private insurance plans. Currently, COVID-19 vaccinations are covered under Medicare Part B without cost sharing, and it's our understanding that this will continue. Medicaid will continue to cover all COVID-19 vac- vaccinations without a copay or cost sharing through September of 2024. It's important to recognize, however, that many details regarding the impact of this public health emergency ending are really still unknown. But rest assured that throughout this transition, the Ohio Department of Health will continue to monitor the impact here in Ohio and will work with our partners to develop strategies to protect the health of Ohioans. Now, it's important to underline that the end of the public health emergency does nothing to change the message about the importance of staying up to date on your COVID-19 vaccines. If anything, it reminds us that getting vaccinated has played a big part in hopefully getting COVID-19 under control and allowing us to return to more normalcy. If you are over the age of 60 or have a serious chronic medical illness or are immunocompromised, staying up to date with vaccines is especially important. We're looking forward to the CDC coming out with new guidance plans for the fall, and even the potential for new vaccines. But for now, if you have not received a bivalent vaccine dose, please get one. And if you are over the age of 60 or at increased risk related to a medical condition, please consider a second bivalent booster shot. COVID-19 is still with us. We're still seeing not only cases of COVID-19, but we are still seeing hospitalizations. And sadly, as I noted at the beginning, we're continuing to see deaths. Uh, 40 to 50 people every week, sadly, are dying from COVID-19. So we need collectively to maintain vigilance and to be caring about our friends, neighbors, family. Uh, we, We need, when we don't feel well, to take that very seriously and stay away from other people. Uh, we need to give consideration to whether or not we need to get a test, either because we may be eligible for treatment or uh, we may live or work around people who are particularly eligible or particularly vulnerable uh, to this, to this illness. I just don't want people to misinterpret the end of the public health emergency with meaning that it is the end of COVID-19 as a public health
0: threat. That's again, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, director of the Ohio Department of Health from a news conference earlier this week.
4: Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together.
7: I got to tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me.
4: Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation. And it feels good.
7: Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting? Yeah.
4: A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids, and I've got a good job. Bye, Mom. See you, Mom. A pretty important job. Because of my family and my job, I really care about this neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood. Yes, there's some crime. And when I drive to work, like now, I realize that some people here don't trust the police. So the police should be reaching out to this community and this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer that this department is reaching out to the community and the community is doing its part. We're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. This is how we can all be safer. Get involved. Start the conversation. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan.
9: Downloading development coming up on Face the State. The plans for Google to expand in not one, but two central Ohio cities. 53 years since the Kent State University shooting. How what happened on campus helped lead to protests across the country. And social media and children. What new findings reveal from the On Our Sleeves movement.
0: Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
9: Google something in the future, the Buckeye State might be helping power that search. This morning, we're learning more about how data centers will be built in central Ohio, one in Columbus and one in Lancaster. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here on Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. 10TV News reporter Kevin Landers takes us to that announcement.
5: Google's announcement was short on specifics, including how many jobs its data centers in South Columbus and Lancaster will create. But even without those numbers, one thing was abundantly clear. Google has data centers in just 13 states and has three of them now in Ohio data is driving ohio's economy today google announced it's building two data centers that help power your search for maps and gmail on your phone the investment along with a data center already operational in new albany totals two billion dollars in investments it was welcome news for a city like lancaster which had the land water and power to bring google to its front door
7: Puts us on the map for other opportunities going forward. Um,
5: you know, if if Google moves here, then you know we kind of have the Google seal of approval. I know that a new data center tends to uh, start with 50 or 60 jobs, and it grows uh, from there. And as I said in my remarks, you know, we, we're only in 13 states, and we're going to have three fully operational data centers powering our tools, powering what we do in cloud and AI and search uh, right here in central Ohio. The Google data center in South Columbus is just north of Scioto Downs. The one in Lancaster is in the Rock Mill Industrial
9: Park, and that one is expected to be open in the summer. Reporting downtown, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. And with tech development like this, central Ohio is becoming known as the Silicon Heartland. And we have to mention Intel's expansion in Lincoln County. Intel's $20 billion project is the largest in state history. The goal is to have two plants online by 2025. When it opens, there will be 3,000 employees. Intel says it could end up spending more than $100 billion to build eight plants, making it one of the largest semiconductor manufacturing sites in the world. Electric vehicles, hybrid cars, What's next when it comes to personal transportation? Well, experts who spoke this past week at the Columbus Metropolitan Club say it won't be based on privately owned gas powered cars forever.
10: I think we need to see two things kind of converge and we are starting to see some of that happen. um, And that is industry needs to be moving kind of in the same direction as policy. So it's not unrelated to capitalism. But without some sort of incentives from a policy perspective, I feel like we don't quite get to these uh, envisioned futures. I mean, that may seem far off from thinking about flying cars, but but really it's not. I mean, if we require more safety systems in place, if we require more of these, um, more of a shift or a pivot to alternative fuels, we'll see that becoming a reality. And I think in the case of electrification, we are seeing industry kind of making those promises, and then policymakers um, echo that with, with policies and funding in place to support that.
7: I think some of the disconnect we see here is actually our expectations towards technology and thinking that some magic technology is going to come along and fix our mobility problems. And we don't need that. Um, There was a study by the Bureau of Transportation Statistics in the the U.S. Department of Transportation, and it showed that in the United States, 50% of all trips across all modes of transportation were less than three miles. And almost 30% of those trips were less than a mile any trip 3 miles or less should not require a car to not require a vehicle to not require a jetpack it could require
9: yourself, walking, biking, and public transit. Well, you can watch more of this spirited discussion It was a lunch in this past week by visiting the CMC website. And now to the results of the past week's election. Marysville schools are working on a path forward after their operating levy failed. This was the district's first request for an operating levy in 15 years to cover growing expenses for staff, utilities, and supplies. The school district administrator said there was a great need for the levy in light of Cuts in the state funding and increased enrollment. We talk with voters before the vote
8: took place. That's something I have to budget out. That I can't pay for the gas. It keeps going up, and the food prices keep going up. And I don't see any end in sight right now. The way this situation is, and why burden the more more people with the tax. I know, like the sentiment of like, you know, no more taxation. But you know, uh, I'm also for like, as long as that taxation is, you know, reasonable and uh, it's going for a good cause. Voters rejected the measure
9: by a 56 to 46 percent margin, with 100 percent of precincts reporting. And now district leaders say they have no choice but to make cuts. Two people running for mayor of Gahanna really didn't have to worry about the election. But the city attorney says that he wants to change that. Gahanna has only two candidates and the two highest vote getters would automatically move on to the general election in November. Despite that, the city charter requires a primary election, which costs the city thousands of dollars. The city's attorney said that he's going to push for change
0: the next time is 2026. And I am going to do my best to bring this up and make sure that it gets changed uh, more similar to the Ohio Revised Code, which uh, does address this
11: issue.
9: Gahanna Mayor Lori Jodwin defeated Steve Brown, who's an assistant principal in the Columbus City Schools District. But again, there's another election later this year. Now, from May to potentially August. State lawmakers pass a resolution allowing for an August election, what is called Senate Bill 92. It deals with holding a special election in August. Resolutions would require 60% voter approval for constitutional amendments. The Columbus Dispatch reports that Illinois billionaire Richard Yulin has donated more than $1 million to a PAC supporting the effort to require 60% of the vote to pass a citizen-initiated constitutional amendment as opposed to the current 50% requirement, which has been in place since 1912. The League of Women Voters opposes an August special election. It's very clear why they're doing this, and they're they're doing this because they've become very desperate at this point to to limit direct democracy. Again, it would require a 60% vote to approve any constitutional amendment, including the abortion amendment that could be on the November ballot. The Ohio Casino Control Commission is targeting six different businesses in the same city over illegal gambling operations, all in Zanesville. Four out of six we found are on Maysville Road. The Ohio Casino Control Commission says agents seized or disabled more than 400 gaming machines and confiscated a large amount of cash and documents. Concerning claims online. Are veterans becoming sort of a bargaining chip in the debt ceiling debate? Our Verify team looks at what's on Facebook and Twitter before you click share. And distracted driving, there are new clues on whether the new crackdowns are working. But first, the story of the Kent State shooting, the lessons of the past, and what the university is doing today.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
9: There is a lot of confusion about how much it's going to cost people on insulin to get their medication after some drug makers announced a new plan to cap the prices. Brandon Lewis with our National Verify team explains whether the new lower price applies to everyone.
3: Last year, Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which capped the price of insulin at $35 for seniors on Medicare. Under pressure from the Biden administration, the nation's three largest insulin makers announced plans to cut their prices. That left some people on social media confused about what they'll have to pay for their preferred insulin brand. So let's verify. Is the price of insulin capped at $35 for everyone? Our sources are the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the White House, and insulin makers Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, and Sanofi. In early March, Eli Lilly announced it will cap some of their insulin products at $35 a month for customers with private insurance or who are uninsured and sign up for their free savings card. Novo Nordisk followed suit by also making some insulin products available for $35 and lowering the price of others. Then, Sanofi said it will lower the price of its Lantus brand insulin to $35. But all three manufacturers still sell some brands for more than $35. So, no, the price of insulin is not capped at $35 for everyone. It depends on the brand you use and whether you have insurance. With your Verify, I'm Brandon Lewis. This is
0: Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
9: Welcome back to Face the State. A dark milestone in our country's history, the Kent State shootings. It was a snapshot in time at Kent State University. May 4th, marked 53 years since gunfire at the campus helped lead to nationwide protests to end the Vietnam War. On May 4th of 1970, Ohio National Guardsmen opened fire on anti-Vietnam War protesters at Kent State University here in Ohio, killing four students and wounding 11. Guardsmen had been ordered onto the campus after a university building had been burned to the ground in protest. The guardsmen were only supposed to keep an eye on the demonstration. But students were enraged at their presence and began yelling and throwing stones at the soldiers. Without warning and despite never receiving a direct order to shoot, the guards responded with rifle fire. Two female students on their way to class were struck down and killed. Kent State closed early on May 4, 1970, and students were sent home. The university remained closed until mid-June. Protests had been mounted on college campuses around the country that week against the war in Vietnam. These student strikes gained strength after the Kent State incident. In Washington, D.C., Republicans and Democrats are debating and negotiating the debt ceiling. The Republicans' first proposal was a plan that would come with deep spending cuts. Casey Decker, with our verified national team, examines whether those cuts would affect veterans.
5: If Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling, the United States will default on its financial obligations as early as June 1st. House Republicans have passed a bill that would raise the debt limit, but it comes with conditions, including extensive cuts to the federal budget. Verify viewer Tom wanted to know whether those cuts would affect veterans benefits. So, Tom, let's verify. Our sources are the text of the bill, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Congressional Budget Office, and David Wessel. A budget expert from Brookings. The bill imposes a cap on the total amount of discretionary spending each year. That covers everything from government salaries to weapons for the military. It doesn't touch mandatory spending, like Social Security, which is pre approved from older laws. The CBO calculated that next year, nearly $230 billion would need to be cut, and over the next decade, about $3.6 trillion. So where would those cuts come from? Well, the bill doesn't say, meaning it'd be decided somewhere down the road by appropriations committees.
3: It's very easy to say, I want to cap discretionary spending, and I'll figure out later what gets cut. And so the people who propose the caps do this on purpose because they don't want to pick and choose. They don't want to make enemies of people whose program is going to be cut. And the people who oppose the caps say, well... If you impose this across the board, X, Y, Z is going to be cut, so there's no,
5: it's no way to win that argument. The Biden administration says if these cuts are made to every department except defense, it'd require a 22% reduction to the VA. But House Republicans say they'd never approve cuts to either defense or veterans. I will not bring a bill that cuts our veterans. So while the bill doesn't specifically cut veterans benefits, it doesn't specifically exempt them from the cuts either. This plan is also merely a starting point in the negotiations. It's likely to fail in the Democrat-controlled Senate. With your Verify. I'm Casey Decker.
9: What can we verify for you? Reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or by simply emailing us at verify at 10TV.com. Honor Flight Columbus took off with another plane filled with Ohio veterans. Robert Cool is the only World War II veteran on this past week's mission to Washington, D.C. at the age of 96. Other war vets on board the flight fought in Korea, Vietnam, and the Cold War eras. Many people helped welcome home 85 veterans after their trip to see their respective war memorials. And we certainly add our thanks to them for their service. May is Mental Health Awareness Month coming up. We are going to be talking about strategies to support children with the On Our Sleeves movement at Nationwide Children's Hospital and what new data shows about distracted driving in our state.
0: need to visit the ohio bmv go online first it could save you a trip it's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the bmv online need to renew your driver's license renew online and if you need to renew your vehicle registration visit one of our new bmv express kiosks or go online if you do need to visit a bmv agency use the get in line online tool also found on the website to save your spot and minimize your time waiting For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
9: The new distracted driving law here took effect last month, and experts say it's working. 10TV's Amy Steigerwald joins us with a look at those numbers.
2: Tracy, a new study linked to the Ohio Traffic Safety Council shows that just within the first month, distracted driving is down by 8 percent here in Ohio since that law went into place. Now, that study from Cambridge Mobile Telematics shows drivers are spending less time specifically on their phones while driving. Back in March, Ohio drivers spent about one minute and 39 seconds per hour on their phone while they were driving. And that timing has decreased by about 10 seconds since Ohio's new law went into place. Those numbers came from users who opted into having their phone identity tracked. Now, on top of this data, Ohio State Highway Patrol pulled over 200 fewer drivers in April for distracted driving violations compared to March. Now, right now, drivers who are cited for distracted driving get a six-month grace period. But after that, the fines will be given. Back to you.
9: Amy, thank you for that. 10TV, fighting to end distracted driving through Maria's message. You can read more about our efforts right now at 10TV.com slash Maria's message. And if you want to get involved, email Dom Tiberi or send him a message on social media. Students gathered to honor a boy who died by suicide while raising awareness for mental health and condemning bullying. The group told 10TV's Richard Solomon they won't let his death
11: go unnoticed. In every sign you see at Logan High School, a message wishing something had been done, wishing some signs. Were noticed.
2: Nobody saw it coming. Not one person.
11: Karriana Butcher wishes something had been picked up on.
2: He hid it from everyone so well. You know, he just let the bare minimum be known.
11: Because her 15-year-old son Bryce Butcher died by suicide. Anna tells me he was bullied. This young person, with hopes of joining the military one day, gone.
2: I don't ever want another parent to have to feel this, and I do not ever want another student, another kid, to feel like they have no options, to feel like there is no other choice but to not exist.
6: Change! 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 Change!
2: In their grief,
11: Bryce's classmates came together, standing up for him in mental health and condemning bullying. Make a change! This is video from a protest at the high school after students met at East Park to share stories about Bryce and come together.
6: Mental health has been um, stipulated for so long, so negatively, it shouldn't take kids killing themselves to get support.
11: The district released a statement saying, in part, a group of students at Logan High School were holding a gathering inside the building to voice concerns about mental health. We are listening to the concerns of our students. They go on to say the district will have staff on hand for mental health support because she never, ever wants this to happen again.
2: Kindness begets kindness, begets kindness, begets kindness, not the other way around.
9: That was Richard Solomon reporting for us. And if you or someone you know may be having suicidal thoughts, call or text the 988 hotline. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also have some other resources for you that could be helpful at our website, 10TV.com and some revealing findings in a just-released survey. Half of parents believe their sons or daughters' mental health suffered because of social media over the past year. The On Our Sleeves movement for children's mental health says it's part of the solution. Parents and caregivers are too. If your kids really don't feel that they can come to you, they will try to find answers potentially in the wrong places. And so that's why
3: I feel it's very important to create that nurturing environment where your kids really do feel comfortable coming to you.
10: The way we react is going to determine whether a child will keep trusting us and keep coming back to us. So we really have to pause, breathe, and make it about the child. Listen, you know, don't bombard them with questions or concerns or advice and just, oh, tell me a little bit about why you've been watching this. Tell me a little bit of why you posted X, Y, Z.
9: And the survey shows a drop in the number of parents who feel comfortable having a conversation about mental health. Dr. Howitt says the best approach is to listen more than you speak. And she encourages parents to stay engaged with their teens and what they're watching and who they're communicating with find out who the latest influencer is, that kind of thing. May is Mental Health Awareness Month every Tuesday during this month. We're going to be talking with the children's health experts about strategies to support our children. This past week, we talked with Dr. Hoet. She's the clinical director for On Our Sleeves. And first, we asked about advice for handling stress and anxiety.
10: At this time of year, with everything going on, what I typically hear teens and and kids telling me is that it just feels overwhelming. It, It feels like they're standing in this giant mountain and don't know where to start. And so they freeze and they lose motivation. So one thing we talk a lot about in therapy is breaking those assignments down thinking about the daily steps they have to take to get those things accomplished so instead of feeling like oh my gosh i have this 100 page book to read thinking about okay i have 10 pages to read a day and all of a sudden it just feels a lot more manageable and that stress can decrease we recommend parents and caregivers look out for changes in a child's mood so feeling sad Irritable is a big sign. Kids tend to show their mood more with anger and irritability or a lot of nerves. And then you want to look out for changes in behavior, withdrawal, isolation. Nothing seems fun. Nothing seems interested. They just want to be alone. Changes in their sleep and their eating. Um, and, and we look for those signs to be almost every day for weeks at a time, right? Because kids and and humans really, adults too, change their mood and their behavior often. But we're looking for that persistent pattern where you're noticing, wow, this has been sticking around and it's starting to get in the way of their day-to-day life.
9: Sometimes it's challenging for parents to know when to intervene or to say something. Dr. Howitt told us it's about consistent conversation.
10: What we are really encouraging this month at On Our Sleeves is conversations, having daily check-ins, making it a habit, so at the dinner table or when you pick them up from school, bedtime, of just talking and it doesn't have to be about serious things. We have fun conversation starters just to build the habit of conversation but just to give you insight of what a child is going through and then if you are worried, we have examples of questions you can ask to to just check in about their mental health, what they're feeling and experiencing and really that's the best thing we can do is have a healthy relationship with them, have an understanding of what they're going through daily and then I always recommend ask them what they think of, you know, if they have a problem what they think is a solution, how they think you can help so that you can let them lead the problem solving. And again, let them know that you're there for them.
9: Some really good advice there. We will have more from the experts from Nationwide Children's Hospital next Tuesday, right here on 10TV. Columbus City Council authorized the purchase of $25,000 for baby changing stations. It's part of a grant program to raise awareness and provide equal access to diaper changing tables throughout the city. We first introduce you to Matt Lofi, a dad who started a podcast to advocate for more resources in men's and gender neutral bathrooms. Well, through this grant program, more than 130 businesses, organizations and recreation parks facilities will have changing stations installed.
11: Such a wonderful opportunity to celebrate
3: partnerships of private and um, public working together. Whether you are a single sex or a single gender couple, um, or um, on plenty of occasions, uh, two friends going out and and he's watching his son. Um, you know, we need to provide a platform and a place um, for people to to simply change their child
9: common sense, right? This is great. Changing stations will be passed out on June 14th at the first ever Father's Family Resource Fair at Columbus Public Health. There will also be car seat lessons and gun lock box giveaways. Thank you so much for joining us here on Face of the State. We wish you a great week and we say congratulations to all of the graduates out there. Take care.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with information about what you can see this morning at 1130 on 10 TV.
9: Coming up on Face the State, we're looking closer at the push to change our state's constitution. Republicans say it's about giving Ohioans the choice, but Democrats are not buying it. Also, our state's parks may not be able to keep up with inflation. Why the director of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources says she's worried about funding. And what's old is new again for the state's new tourism campaign. We'll tell you all about it when you join us for Face the State at 1130.
8: We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light. and the smoking lamp was lit... If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at screenyourlungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Carol Johnson, who is the Administrator of the Health Resources and Services Administration. How are you?
6: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the uh, administration. What is it?
6: Uh, So we're the Health Resources and Services Administration. We're part of the Federal Department of Health and Human Services, and we provide and support services that help new parents, that support moms and infants, um, and that provide health care, support health care services in communities across the country um, through places like community health centers and rural health clinics.
0: Okay, and I understand that you have a, a hotline for pregnant women and also those going through postpartum,
10: right?
6: Yeah, so we have a national maternal mental health hotline. And what this is, is it's a 24-7 hotline that's available to people all over the country um, uh, in English Spanish other languages if people need it um, for where, where pregnant people or uh, postpartum folks um uh, people who are uh, uh, experiencing those early days of uh, new parenthood or even later into parenthood can call and get emotional support or can call and just have a safe conversation, a safe space to have a conversation about um, whether you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or or, or depression or um, things that uh, are of concern to you. Um, we wanted to make sure that there was a place that people could get direct access um, to some expert resources, have a conversation, um, get a little bit of support, and then if you need additional referrals, be able to do that and get you connected to services. But really, a lot of people use the line just to have the chance to to talk confidentially to someone when they're feeling anxious or feeling overwhelmed or need um, that support. The hotline number is one eight three three TLC Mama or one eight three three. Eight five two six
0: two six two. Okay, and we'll have those numbers again toward the end. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the mental health concerns of women who are pregnant or young mothers?
6: Yeah, you know, I think that. Um it is, uh, it is very nice at uh, Mother's Day for us to be able to celebrate all the wonderful things about motherhood and all that our mothers have given us and mothers give to their children. But it also is a chance for us to recognize um, that pregnancy and the postpartum period, they're hard. Um, and it's a lot of change and it's a lot of challenge. Whether it's your first pregnancy or, or your second or your third and now you have multiple children at home, it can be overwhelming. Um, it can be a time of challenge. And so we want to make sure that um, people have... Uh, are able to get connected to counselors in that moment. And, you know, people experiencing, experience everything from anxiety, um, to, uh, from uh, feeling overwhelmed to um, having postpartum depression, which is something that is treatable um, and it's critical for us to be able to deliver the message that you're not alone. Um, these are This is the others have gone through this. Um, we can uh, uh, get you connected to help. And so that's what um, all of our work is about here.
0: You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, just the other day, Heather Armstrong, who was called the pioneering mommy blogger, who I guess 15 or 20 years ago started uh, blogging about her mental health concerns during motherhood and also a struggle with alcoholism, just recently ended her life at 47, which shows that even those who are self-aware, what a problem this is for people to grapple with.
6: You know, um, our condolences to her family. It's a devastating loss and to all of those who got support from her online. Um, you know, I think that one of the things we are working on across the board is making sure that mental health needs are better recognized and supported across the board. So in addition to the work we're doing here, we also um, support training more primary care providers to recognize mental health conditions to be able to support folks, training more OBGYNs to be able to provide mental health support, um, really thinking about pediatricians, we're training pediatricians, really thinking about how we better integrate, you know, at the end of the day, when someone raises their hand and says they need help, or when you're visiting a primary care physician for a physical health condition, but you're showing signs of other needs, we want to make sure that you get that help.
0: Do you get a feeling coming out of the pandemic that it's especially uh, complicated for young mothers with kids who maybe, you know, for the first couple of years of their lives were around people wearing masks and all that kind of thing?
6: I think it's complicated. It's complicated, frankly, for people who had children during the pandemic and... You know, uh, uh, you know, and are now um, uh, navigating returning to school and returning to all the things and work and all the things that um, make that complicated. So there's a lot of stressors in people's lives. Um, and um, frankly, there's what was associated with the pandemic. But a lot of this, a lot of these challenges existed in, in the past, um, and we just didn't have the kind of investments and resources that we're really working in the Biden Harris administration to make sure that we're investing in these tools and, and recognizing and lifting up and saying out loud that you're not alone. This isn't unique to you. We can help you. There are ways to get support. And that's a critical message for us is to make sure that folks don't feel like this is some unique circumstance to them and then are afraid to ask for help, that help is available.
0: Just a couple of minutes to go here with Carol Johnson. She's the administrator of the Health Resources and Services Administration. Now, this uh, National Maternal Mental Health Hotline, if somebody calls it, how is it dealt with, uh, you know, in the first couple of minutes on the phone, what happens?
6: Yeah, so everybody's experience is different. It depends on what they bring to the call and what they, kind of conversation that they want to have. But what we have available are um, experts in mental health and in maternal health who are... Um, uh, can just uh, help if you want to just share your experience or share what's concerning to you, share what you're grappling with, um, they're able to lead you through a conversation and help you um, identify what um, what kind of things can be of support to you. And so we have um, a host of uh, mental health clinicians and and peer support specialists and, and healthcare providers like doctors and nurses and all of the those folks are available on the line in ways that can be uh, th- that can be responsive to whatever conversation folks want to have and and just uh, reiterating like you can call or you can text and you can call or text at 10 o'clock at night or two o'clock in the morning you know if you're having one of those uh, late night meetings you know there it they're, we're available 24 7.
0: And 12,000 calls in the past year, which shows how significant the need is. Uh, Can you give us uh, the numbers again?
6: Phone number for the hotline is 833-TLC-MAMA, M-A-M-A, or 833-852-6262.
0: Okay. Uh, Carol, anything else you'd like to add?
6: I'd just like to say that, you know, on this Mother's Day, I want to make sure folks um, know that – it's, it's such a wonderful opportunity, again, for us to celebrate and lift up moms, but also to say that if you need help, if you're struggling, please call the hotline. Please get the support you need, um, and, um, and help is available.
0: Great. Again, uh, Carol Johnson, she is the administrator of the Health Resources and Services Administration. Thanks so much for your time today.
6: Thank you so much.
0: This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS-AM, that's 1460 in Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.